Well, good morning, everyone, and thank you so much for joining us again. We're so grateful, um, and like Amber said, we're in the middle of a series that we're calling Jesus Called It a Kingdom, and if you haven't been here for the last few weeks and aren't sure why we're calling it that, the reality is, as you read Jesus' words, as you kind of follow him around in the eyewitness accounts of his life, you realize that every single time he talked about Christianity, every, well, not every single, but almost, it seems like every time he talked about what Christianity looks like, what it looks like to follow Jesus, what it looks like to, to, to have faith in this grace and what he did, he seemed to call it a kingdom almost every single time. That's how he talked about it. And that has a bunch of kind of implications. And we, we've talked about different aspects of what that looks like. But last week, we started an idea that I want to come back to today because I think it's so important to look at. But last week, we saw that when Jesus talked about um, the message of the kingdom. He equated that. He gave us an illustration, a picture of what the message of the kingdom was, what this gospel that he brought, this good news that he brought, what that's like. So he said the message of the kingdom is like a seed. He said it's like a seed. And I think it's a brilliant illustration because in that illustration, there's a whole bunch there, but a couple things. In that illustration, basically, when you think about a seed, it's crazy to think this thing has life in it. And it's just like there, <laughs> but it has life in it. Like, like, like there's a watermelon in this thing. That's just weird, and yet it's true. <laughs> I don't know how to explain, not just one watermelon. If you, if you plant it and get the seeds out and plant those, there are like a million watermelons in this. <laughs> you can feed a million people, it grows. How does that work? I don't know, but it's true. There's life in this Thing. And that's the same as the message of the kingdom. The message of this gospel, it looks so weird and, and, and like, what is this thing? And it's like, well, that doesn't even make sense. It's like incon inconspicuous and like, well, who cares? And yet there's life in it. And I think that's what he was saying. The message of the kingdom, the message of his gospel, sometimes it's like, what is this? This is weird. I don't even believe that. It doesn't even make sense. But how, huh? how can that? And yet there's life. In it. The message of the kingdom has life in it. The, the second thing about the seed, and we looked at this last week, is this. If you don't recognize that this is a seed, you miss out on all the potential that's in it. Because if you don't recognize that this is a seed, you'll just be like, whatever, and throw it away, put it aside. And then all the watermelons in this will never exist. <laughs> all the life in it, all the, the, the growth, the maturity, the fruit, the delicious, all that stuff will never exist. And in the same way, I think that's why Jesus called the message of the kingdom a seed. He equated it to a seed because, all, you know, unless that seed is planted, you know, it seems like nonsense and seems like whatever, who cares? But if that seed is planted, it can grow. And as Jesus described it, we're going to see again, it can grow into so much life and so much hope, and it can actually change our lives. That, that's why he called it a seed. In fact, last week we saw, we looked at a verse, I'm going to show it to you again, that part of the fruit that comes from the seed of the message of the gospel, the message of the kingdom, is known as the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, in Galatians 5.22, it says this, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, that's just some of the fruit. But, but if this message of the kingdom, if this message of the gospel is planted in us, it literally creates that. Like, like this creates a plant. This creates a watermelon. It just creates fruit. You don't have to tell it or instruct it or make it. It doesn't try. It just does. And, and the message of the kingdom, if it's planted in us, it creates life. 
and joy and love and peace and patience and all those incredible things. It changes our lives. But in light of that, we looked at that all last week. In light of that, though, I want to come back to this parable that we spoke about because there is a very important question that I think is in that, and I think the parable answers this question. And, and while this question is directed to Christians, so if you're a Christian, this is directed towards us. But even though it's directed towards Christians, I think this question has a very important implication for all of us. Because my guess is, if you're not a Christian, if you wouldn't kind of call yourself a Christian, maybe you've pushed faith aside. My guess is one of the reasons you've pushed faith aside or one of the reasons you've chosen not to be a Christian is because you've met some Christians who didn't have any of that fruit. And it's like, okay, well, that seed's supposed to grow into all the stuff, and the Bible says it, and Christianity teaches that you're supposed to look like Jesus and all that stuff, and I bump into Christians all the time, and it's like, you don't look like that. Or the churches maybe you've interacted with have been like, where's the fruit? <laughs> I thought, it doesn't seem to work. Like, so why, why does it look like that? Why does, why does that happen? Maybe you've bumped into people who have been more judgmental than loving and patient and kind and good and faithful. And it's like, how does it work? So, so here's the question. While the, this question, I think, is mostly addressed to us as Christians, I think it has implications and insight for all of us. So, so here's the question. If the seed has the potential to literally change our lives, if it does, the seed of the message of the kingdom, the message of the gospel, if the seed has the power to produce life and hope and healing and the fruit of the spirit, if the seed, this message of the kingdom has the power to literally make me different, so here's the question, then why am I not different? Why does it not feel like my life is changing sometimes? <laughs> I think it's an important question. Why, why do I still get as angry as I used to? or maybe a little more angry than I used to. Why? Why do I still fall for the same temptations? Why do I still judge other people so easily? <laughs> Why is that a part? Why is that there? Why is compassion and love and joy and peace not my go-to reaction when I disagree with someone or when someone disagrees with me? Why, why is that not my go-to love and patience and understanding and kindness? Those are the fruit of the Spirit. Why are those not the, the natural go-to response when someone is different from me? Why is that not there? Why do I struggle to forgive people who hurt me? Why am I still defined by the self-centeredness that I see in me? Why do I still struggle with fear so much? Why do I still have some of the same character defects that I see in me? Why? If last week we said that if you see what's in the seed, you have to see what's in the seed for it to, to, to explode into life. If I, if I do see what's in the seed, and it says if, if we plant it, then it will produce this incredible fruit and this life and this hope that, 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 that we can take to others. Remember, we, if you were here, we, I showed you the watermelon. We actually ate watermelon afterwards and saying, if you plant the seed in you, you'll develop this fruit and you can take it to others and they can taste it. That's what we said. But, but what if I do see what's in the seed? What if I do believe in Jesus? What if I, I believe in this kingdom thing? I believe in this gospel thing, but the fruit of my life does not taste good to other people. What if what they taste is like, no, thank you. I don't, I don't, I, I don't want that. And, and, I don't know where you're at with this, but I think this is a really important question because I know I've bumped into it a whole bunch and a lot of people I talk to have 
as well. So the cool thing is that in this parable that we looked at last week that talks about the seed with all the power in it, hundredfold, thirtyfold, sixty times of what's sown, all the power to change and the fruit of the Spirit, all that stuff in the same parable, Jesus actually tells us why that seed sometimes doesn't bear fruit. He actually says that, that, that there are some things that literally choke out the effectiveness and the fruitfulness of the seed, which if you think about it, if you're a Christian, is crazy to me, which tells me that God's word, the seed is the gospel, the, like Luke chapter 8 verse 11 tells us this. It says, and, and Luke describes it the same as Matthew, he tells it, this is what he says, Jesus said that this is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. And I don't know about you, but most Christians believe that the word of God is one of the most powerful things in the universe, that it can literally change anything. Like, like that's what most Christians believe, that nothing can stop the power of the word. Maybe you've even heard someone say it that way, the power of the word. Nothing can stop it. And and and. and then Jesus says, no, that's not true. Something can't stop it. And you're like, wait, what? <laughs> but I've always, it's so, what? Something can stop it. Well, Jesus literally tells us that there's something that can choke it out so that it cannot produce any fruit. And I think this might be why sometimes people who have so much knowledge of the Bible and so much knowledge of the Word of God have so little fruit. This might be why sometimes people have so much knowledge of the Bible are defined by judgment and condemnation rather than love and joy and peace and grace and kindness. Because Jesus said that while the seed, the message of the kingdom, has the power to change our lives and produce incredible fruit, there are some things that choke out the seed and make it unfruitful. And so, you know, here's the thing. If, if you are struggling or if we if I am, because I know this is my story too, if we are struggling to change and see change in our lives, if we're always coming back to the same old issues, the same old struggles, the same old character defects, my guess is that what Jesus says in this parable could shine some light onto why. Why is it that we're struggling? Now, before I get into the parable and the story that Jesus told and looking at what he said, I just wanna say again, the reason this is so, I see this, the reason this is so important to me is because this is my story. This is so real to me. And I, I know I've told you some of the story before, but I think I wanna say it in this context as well. Because as I went through my faith journey, I've been a Christian since I was like five, and then, you know, just kind of did church, and then at 16 became like committed my life to this thing, and I was all there. I started ministry right out of high school, was doing all this stuff, and I believed all this stuff. I believed that Jesus died for my sins, and he forgives me. I believe that when I trust in him, I, I'm forgiven. Not only that, that his spirit, I don't know how to explain it in the same way that I don't know how to explain there's life in this, but when I trust him, when we trust him, his spirit enters our lives and, and changes. I believe all that stuff. I, I, I was in ministry doing the stuff, and yet there was this character defect in me that was destroying me, destroying my relationships, and destroying my marriage, and hurting and destroying my wife. While I was preaching, while I was reading the, the, the Word of God, reading the Bible daily, preaching about it weekly. I was doing all that stuff, believing it all. But in all of it, there was this character defect in me that was destroying the things inside me and around me. You see, um, I, I was 
incredibly judgmental and critical. And, and nobody would really have known that because I had this external persona of grace and kindness, but my wife knew it. Because all of that judgment and criticism came out on her. And I would always criticize, always see her flaws and my rightness. I actually created a language in our marriage that we came to call 80-20. Because I literally told my wife that after fighting for it, after trying to do it right, after wanting to do it right, I told her that you're responsible for 80% of the problems in our marriage. And if you can just fix those, we'll have a happy marriage. And, and it became known as 80-20. And in doing that, I, I owned the 20, not because I believed I had the 20, but because I knew I needed to be humble. It's ridiculous. But that's what I said, and that's what I believed. And, I, and again, I wasn't trying to be bad. I was trying to do it right. But there was something in me that I truly believed this junk. And I was living that way. And in doing all this, I completely devalued who she was, as a person, and I devalued the differences she brought into our marriage, I devalued her, and I valued myself and my voice above her and my importance above her. It's just how I did, and then I got up on Sunday and preached. And this thing was eating me, and I didn't want it. I wanted to be a good husband. I wanted to be an example of a husband, and this was eating me, and I couldn't change it. And I didn't even know how to change it. I didn't even know why. I didn't even know that I was doing it wrong. And so it wasn't changing. Clearly, there was not very much good fruit in that. But I wasn't changing, and I didn't change. And even though I believed in the seed and the fruit, like this, this message, that fruit was being choked out until I learned something that's reflected in this parable, and that's only when it began to change. So I want to look at this parable again and see, like, what is it that sometimes keeps the power of the seed from actually being what it is? What is it? Because he says so clearly that the power of the seed is there 30, 60, 100 times. Man, it's amazing. All this watermelon, it's incredible. It's all there. But he says there's some things that need to be in place for the power of the seed to be released. And there's some things that can keep the power of the seed from being released. So let's jump into Matthew chapter 13 again and see what he says. We're going to read the whole parable through and then I'll read what, how he explained it and then we'll look at what it says. Matthew 13 verse 3 says this. <clears throat> Then he told them many things in parables, Jesus speaking, saying, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Verse seven, other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop. 160 or 30 times what was sown. And then in verse 18, Jesus explains what this parable means. Here's his words. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. We're gonna read through this quick and then we're gonna come back and look at what he was trying to say, I think. Verse 19, when anyone hears the message about the kingdom. So here he's relating that seed to the message about the kingdom. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. Verse 20, the seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. Hears this message and receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When the trouble and persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. 
The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word. There it is. He says there's something in here that can choke the word of God, the message of the kingdom, this gospel, making it unfruitful. Verse 23, but the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. So what is Jesus trying to tell us? He tells a story about seeds, and then he explains it, and he says the seed is the word of God. The seed is this message of the kingdom. And then he describes the responses that people have and why it grows and why it doesn't grow. And and so there's there's a bunch in this, but I think there are three main ideas in this that, that, that are needed, that are required for the seed to produce life, for the power in the seed to actually come to fruition. Three things. The first one is really, really simple. The first one is obvious. Life change, growth, fruit requires a seed. You need a seed. Nothing in this world that has life didn't start with a seed. You can't manufacture life. You can't invent life. Life comes from everything in the world starts from a seed. And if you want fruit, the right fruit, that fruit has to come from the right seed. Spiritual life, the life that Jesus offers, the life that he promises is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, all that stuff begins with the seed that he gives us. We looked at that last week, um, but Jesus said that the message of the kingdom, the message of his gospel, what he has done is the seed that produces that life that he promises and offers to us. So for our lives to change at the deepest level, it requires the seed, and this seed includes a savior. It requires a savior. It requires a power greater than ourselves. It requires Jesus and his kingdom and his gospel. That's the seed that brings this life. And Christianity teaches that when we place our faith in him, that seed is sown in our hearts. But as you can see in the parable, there are several things that, that are required for that seed to actually grow when it's sown. Because I'm telling you, if we leave a seed in a packet, it looks really cool, but it doesn't do anything. Like, like look how nice that watermelon looks. And that fruit, I'm sure it tastes amazing, right? And the power is in this packet. But if it always stays in the packet, then you're always just gonna look at a picture of a watermelon. <laughs> And it's gonna be a nice thing. You could frame this. In fact, I think a lot of us Christians sometimes do, don't we? <laughs> we frame it and it's up on the wall and the beautiful scriptures and all these things. We frame the watermelon. Look at it, it's beautiful. But a framed packet of watermelon seeds will never do anything unless we take it out the packet and plant the seed and allow it to germinate and do what it's supposed to because it looks really nice. But it's not meant to look nice. It's meant to go in and die. The seed breaks apart and the life in it comes out. So so the other two things, yes, we require a seed, but for life really to come, for the power of the seed to be released, it requires that the seed is planted. And not just planted, planted deep enough. If you look at the parable, the reason those seeds didn't take, didn't produce fruit, was because the three were too shallow. The seeds on the path, it was so shallow it was on the path. I mean, it didn't even break the ground. It was too shallow. The second one on the rocky soil, there's just a little bit of soil, and so it took, just broke the surface, but it didn't grow. It was too shallow. And the, the seeds among the, the, the thorns, it like landed at the level of weeds. 
It didn't go deeper than that. And so, so it did not produce the fruit that it says that it can. So I think what Jesus was saying is, if you want the power of the message of the kingdom to actually produce life change, and the fruit and the hope and the strength that is actually in the seed, you must allow God to plant it deep inside of your heart. I think that's what he's saying to us. So, so let me ask, how do we let the seed go deep? Like, is it just like, okay, I hope it goes deep enough. No, I think we wrestle with it. I think we, when we hear it, we think about it. We wrestle with it. If we have questions, we ask those questions. So many times we're like, well, I don't believe it, but I don't think I should say that. I'll just keep going to church. I'm not sure if I believe it. I'm saying, it's okay, let me just leave it. That, that doesn't go deep enough. It doesn't even go past the questions. We have to wrestle and question. And if, if you struggle with something, if you think something stupid, say it. Wrestle with it. Ask questions. Find a group of people who are honestly willing to ask real questions about this gospel, about this stuff. People who will talk about it. Focus on it. Think about it. Do stuff that involves it. Whatever it takes to let this message not just sit in a superficial place. I listen to that part. Oh, yeah, that's cool. I like this part. I'm going to go along with my life. That seed does not go deep enough to actually germinate and explode into the life that's inside that seed. But when we do think about it, wrestle with it, let it mess with us, and let's mess with it. Let just argue, talk about all the issues, all the stuff. Let it, think about it, meditate it. How does this fit? Where does it fit? Ask real questions. Don't just come up with a few questions. You're like, nah, I don't believe it because of this and this. No, wrestle with all those things. And when we do that, seed dips deep enough, and God shoves that thing, and every question, every wrestle is like this auger going down and down and down, and that seed gets to the depths of who we are. Jesus then tells us that a seed that's planted deep enough explodes into life. 30, 60, 100 times what was sown. So the first thing we need is a seed, the right seed, because all life comes from a seed. The second thing we need is that seed needs to be planted deep inside of us. That's where we, like, the third thing is where I wanna kind of camp out a little bit more today. And we find that third thing that's required for the power of the seed to be released in verse 22. So let's look at Matthew 13, 22. It says, the seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word they hear it, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. And I think what Jesus was saying is, we can't just seed, we also need to weed. This process of life coming from the seed doesn't just take seeding. Let's seed it. No, the process also takes Weeding. I mean, he talks about the good soil. How does good soil become good soil? I mean, if you look at every patch of dirt on this planet, if it hasn't been taken care of, what's on it? Weeds. It's, all, it's, on, it's, it's even on the parts of my yard that I try to look after. I mean, it, there's just weeds. Good soil becomes good soil because someone took the time to remove the weeds. And so it seems like he's saying that sometimes we want God to change us and do something amazing in us and make me more loving and make me more kind and help me forgive and help me not have this bitterness and this anger. Help me do that. Do all this stuff. But Jesus tells us that sometimes we're praying for this, but there's stuff in our hearts that literally make the seed of what he's doing unfruitful. Seems like that's what he's saying. And he says that the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth have the power to be those weeds and choke out the seed and make it unfruitful. Make it so that even something as powerful as God's word, if, if, I mean, if God speaks, wow, 
makes that unfruitful and it can't bear fruit. So, so what are the worries of this life? And what are the deceitfulness of wealth? What, what is that? I, I, let me try and explain it. Um, I think when Jesus talks about the deceitfulness of wealth, he's saying something like this. Wealth and stuff and comforts and distractions have the potential and can deceive us into thinking that they can save us from the pain and the frustration and the disappointment of this world. Wealth has that potential. It can deceive us into thinking, I can save you from all the pain, from all the disappointment, all the frustration, and those things also have the potential to, to deceive us into thinking they can save us from the shame and the guilt and the anger and the fear and all the other feelings that we struggle with. If I, if I just have enough money, it'll be great. If I just have enough stuff, if I can just have enough fun, if I, if I just go on enough adventures in my life, it'll be amazing. Everything will be great. It'll distract me and it'll save me from those things. If I can just distract myself with entertainment, if I'm just gonna binge the next awesome show and I don't have to think about the stuff. And what we're doing is we're just numbing the, the stuff inside of us and distracting ourselves. And we're like, ow, that hurt. Well, don't look at it, squirrel. Let me look at that and I'm good. Just watch the next show and watch their problems and I don't watch mine. Just, we go there. Or if I can just numb my feelings with alcohol or other substances, not just like a ton and like you're an alcoholic or whatever, but just even just numb it a little bit. Just, just a bit. Feels better. But that's where we go. Whatever it is, I mean, and we all do this. All of us have something that we think can save us from those feelings of pain and anger and bitterness and frustration and, and, and lost expectations and, and it, it will work. And when we do that, what we're doing is we're trusting in something else to change us, to save us, to make us feel better. And all those things deceive us. They don't work. Even though we all try, I do, I try, but they don't work, they don't change us. And those things are like thorns that choke out the life of the seed when it's trying to grow. You know why? Because when it's trying to dig deep, we're like, no, 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 let me look at this. I don't wanna look at this thing that it needs to fix. I'm gonna look at this. Uh, it's just, if I just work harder, if I just make more money, if I just give myself to something that has purpose, then I don't have to worry about these things. They become like thorns that choke out the fruitfulness of the seed. Because when we trust in wealth or other things, we're not allowing the seed to go deep enough because we're not trusting that seed. We're not trusting what he's doing. We're not allowing ourselves to trust God, a power greater than ourselves, and we're putting trust in these things, knowing that they don't have the power to change us. They have the power to numb us and distract us, but they don't have the power to change us. And it pulls us away from trusting the one thing that does have the power to change us. So I think that's what he means by the deceitfulness of wealth. But what about the worries of this world? When he talks about the worries of this world, I think there's so much in this, and I wish we could talk for hours on this, but the thing I will say is this. <clears throat> I think that the worries of this world can be described something like this. We all have needs. We all have desires, we all have hopes, we all have expectations of ourselves, of the people around us, of our world, of God even. We all have these things. And as a result of having these desires and needs and wants and expectations, we all have fears that won't get these things that we think we need and we want. And so we worry about those things. And then on top of that, when they, when they don't happen, when we do get hurt, when something bad does happen, when someone hurts us, 
what happens, either, either because the world is broken and bad things happen in this world, broken things happen, or because the people around us are broken and they do broken things and they hurt us, or because we are broken and we do broken things and make bad decisions, whatever it is, all those worries, all those things are worries. And all those worries leave a mark when someone hurts us, when, when we experience disappointment, when we grow up in a broken home, when we experience rejection, either from just a friend or a teacher or a parent or a spouse or a child. When we experience rejection, when we experience those things, when a desire or an expectation does not get met, we feel things. And those feelings, we get hurt. And every feeling and every hurt is also a seed, but it's not a good seed. It's, it's, it's a painful seed. It's a seed that represents worries that begin to grow into thorns and weeds in our hearts, thorns and weeds that take up space, thorns and weeds that drain energy, that, that take resources, and unless we can see them, unless we discover them, they grow and begin to impact who we are. Are. This is what happened to me. I came into marriage thinking that I was ready, I was good, I dealt with everything, and then pfft, all of these things. And I didn't even see them. I was like, I'm not gonna look, distract myself with ministry. And every time my wife gave me a hug. And Jesus seems to be saying that when the beautiful seed of the message of the kingdom gets sown in our lives, that there's a possibility that the thorns and the weeds of the cares and the worries of this world and of our life can choke out that growth and keep the seed from producing the fruit that we want and that he wants for us. Seems like Jesus is saying that hurt stuck in my heart Unresolved pain, unresolved shame, unresolved guilt, unresolved disappointments, unresolved frustrations have the power to keep God from changing me. This is powerful. And again, that's what was happening in my life. And until I recognized that there were thorns and weeds stuck in my heart and worked through those things, I never changed. And my wife felt that pain. I think this reality might explain why there are so many Christians walking around who say they believe in God and Jesus and the love and the fruit of the Spirit, and yet they seem to struggle so much with actually seeing those fruit in their lives. They're so angry and judgmental and depressed and critical. And, and please don't get me wrong, I still get angry. <laughs> I still get judgmental. I'm like, ah, I still feel depressed sometimes. I still struggle with hurt and brokenness. So I'm not saying that Christians are ever going to be perfect. This side of heaven, I mean, I'm not saying that Christianity teaches even until the day we die, we will continue to struggle with this broken human nature in us and weeds and thorns still get planted. I mean, tomorrow, today, weeds are gonna get planted and seeds are gonna land in our heart. That happens. But what I am saying is this that if we can take the time to find the thorns in our hearts, and through some very practical steps, I'll get to those in a minute, allow God to not just seed our hearts, but weed our hearts. Not just sow the seed of the message of the kingdom, but pull the weeds and the thorns that are in the way. If we can do that, there will be space for the seed to actually bear fruit 
and will change. It, it will. That's what Christianity, that's what Jesus taught. It will change us and grow us and mature us. And we won't stay stuck in the character defects that have just always been there. But Christ and his life and his character will be formed in us and will begin to be defined not by the thorns and the weeds and the hurt and the bitterness and the anger and the frustration and the unforgiveness and all these things. We can be defined by his life and the fruit of his spirit. I won't go into detail because of time, but, but my story, back to my story, I was going along distracting myself with all these important things and this weeds were just growing and it was hurting more and I hit a ceiling and all this stuff. I was like, oh my gosh, what is this? And I remember the day that I actually discovered what was going on and we, my wife and I were on a marriage retreat and uh, I don't even remember what was said, but I remember it felt like God put his finger on my heart, on this part, and I was like, whoa, what's that? And I felt like this 80-20 this thing came to mind. And I felt like God was saying to me, I want you to see what you're doing to your wife. 80-20, 80-20. And I remember looking over at her. <laughs> I'll never forget this moment. I said, is this what I'm doing? And tears started to run down her cheeks. And she said, yes. And I was like, wait, what? I'm trying to be right, trying to do, trying to change, not happening. Is this what I'm doing? Yes. And everything broke inside me. And I started on a journey inward to see what is this? Why am I not changing? What is going on? And I started, like I said, on this journey inward. And I started speaking to a person that was safe enough to help me look at all of me. Not cover it up with this perfect Sunday look, but look at all of me. All the hurt from my broken home, all the fears that I still carried, all the shame from the bad decisions that I'd made, all the wrong things that I'd done. And it was important for this person to be a safe person, and, and she was as a counselor. We started seeing my wife and I eventually. I saw her for the first two years alone. Like, and, and, and what I heard was, me too, not what's wrong with you. Oh, it was amazing. Me too. <laughs> just those two words. And she responded with incredible grace, the grace of God. And we started to dig and see what are these things. And as I opened up my heart and shared everything, I found so much freedom because nothing was hidden. And there's freedom in that. And the thorns that were keeping the seed from growing began to be removed slowly, carefully, sometimes longer than other times, and intentionally. And I began to change. I became a different man, a different person, a different husband, a different father, and my marriage changed. And again, please don't hear me wrong. I'm by no means perfect. It's not like, yay, all the weeds are gone. I'm amazing. No, sometimes I still do stupid things. Sometimes I still hurt my wife. But you know what's different? I see me quicker. I say sorry quicker. And my, li my wife likes me a whole lot more now. And I'm so, I like me a whole lot more now, even in my mess, because weeds still land, and sometimes we give each other weeds, and it's like, it hurts, and it's like, where's this going, and thorns are still there, but, but I see them, and there's space, and there's safety for them to be pulled, and God pulls those weeds. That growth didn't happen until I saw it, until I could see the thorns choking out the life in me. John, uh, Matthew 13, 22 says, the seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life choke the word. The deceitfulness of trying to save yourself from other places choke the word, making it unfruitful. That was me. And until I could see the worries, until I could open up and allow someone to help me navigate it, I didn't change. They were choking me. 
And until God started weeding, nothing was changing, and I'm so glad he did. I heard Jerry Scazzaro, um, who's a woman who works for an organization called Emotionally Healthy Leadership, talk about emotions. Here's, here's what she said. She said, unprocessed emotions don't die. We hope they do. We think they do, but the seeds. Unprocessed emotions don't die. Many of us are uncomfortable expressing certain feelings, so we find other ways to express them, she said, like, I'm worried sick. It broke my heart. Something was a pain in the neck. Unprocessed emotions don't die. They get buried alive. Why? Because God created them to be paid attention to. She says, if emotions aren't acknowledged properly, they will find a way to come out. First, they may go out into your body in the form of insomnia, high blood pressure, panic attacks, even cancer, she says, irritable bowel syndrome, anxiety, weight gain, depression, all these things. But if they don't go there, secondly, they will leak out in, a, in things like sarcasm, defensiveness, tears, and a host of other ways. Remember, she says, emotions are like an internal GPS system that God has given us, and they must be paid attention to. If we don't process the seeds of our emotion in the present, but certainly from the past, they will grow into thorns and weeds, and those thorns and weeds of the worries of this life will choke us and choke the seed that God sows in our hearts. But if we can open up and start a journey inward, look inward and allow God to weed those things out, then the seed can grow. That's, I think, what he's saying in this parable. So, so, so here's what I'm trying to say. If you're in a place where you believe in Jesus, you're a Christian, you believe the stuff, but you're struggling to see change in you. Maybe no one else knows about it, but it's just deep change. You're struggling to see it. Or maybe your husband or wife, you, you don't see the need. <laughs> but maybe your husband or wife struggles to see the change. Perhaps it's not necessarily a seeding problem. Maybe it's not. Yes, the Bible is so important in reading this. And unless we have the seed, it's not going to work. But maybe it's not you need to read more scripture. Maybe it's not a seeding problem. Maybe it's a weeding problem. I know that was what was true for me. I was preaching the Bible all the time and yet it wasn't working. Something wasn't changing in me until I went on a journey and invited someone into the real me and began to talk about the cares and the worries of this world, the wounds and the experiences, the hurt and the fears and the shames until I discovered some stuff that God had to weed out. I wasn't growing, I was stuck. Jesus made it very clear that we are going to be impacted this way and it's possible to, to, to hide the power of the seed. He made it clear that the power of the seed is there 30, 60, 100 times. But the way to get there is through seeding and weeding, not just more seeds. I think this is really, really important. So let me, let me ask you, let me, let me be a little blunt. How are you weeding in your life? Are you? How are you weeding in your life? Are you allowing God to weed? Are you even aware that every single one of us has thorns and weeds in our hearts. Are you aware of that? And every day more are planted because we get hurt and afraid and disappointed and rejected and angry and we make mistakes and we feel embarrassed and all those things are seeds. And every time they land, they have the potential to, to, to germinate and grow into another seed and choke out a weed and, grow and choke out what Jesus is doing in our hearts. So how are you looking at those things in your heart? How are you doing that? 
I needed help from someone safe enough who wouldn't judge me, who would love me enough to help me dig in and see the thorns and help me surrender to God. I needed that. Where are you at in that process? Where are you at? I would sincerely encourage every single one of us to find someone safe enough who is honest about their own thorns. That's how I would define someone safe enough. They're honest about their own thorns and weeds and who believe in the seed of the message of the gospel. And then get to a place. I would encourage you to get to a place where you're able to make a fearless moral inventory of your life and share it with someone. I would encourage you. Well, you don't hold anything back because anything hold, held back remains secret and remains a weed. And then invite God not just to seed your life, but to weed your life and grow in that. This practice has been adopted by Alcoholics Anonymous in such an incredibly powerful way. It's actually part of the 12-step process. And the reason it's been done is because they, they see the incredible importance and power of this to pull out some of the toughest weeds toughest thorns in people's lives. Here's the words of step four through seven of Alcoholics Anonymous in 12 steps. Step four says this, we made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Step five, we admitted to God, to ourselves and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Step six, we, in, we were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. And step seven, we humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. And I'm telling you, when we're able to leave nothing back and open our hearts and lives to be weeded by this gracious heavenly father and pull those thorns holding us back, we find freedom. I felt it, it changed my life. And I know I, I would love every one of us, but, but, but I, know, I know that it's scary and overwhelming and a bit like, oh my gosh, how do I do that? So let me give you three simple things that you can do. That, that won't take, you won't have to embarrass, it won't be hard, you won't have to do anything, but three things that I would love for you to do. Start with this. Number one, invite God to start weeding. Don't just be like, God, give me more of you. No, invite him to start seeing and weeding. Invite him in. And so that he's gracious and kind love. And by the way, he sees it all anyway. He knows it and he's not surprised. He sees it all and he loves you. Invite him to start weeding. Number two, I would encourage you to start writing down a fearless moral inventory of your life. Write everything down. Get it all out so that it's there. And number three, begin to work on finding someone who's safe enough to share it with. So today my hope is just to invite you into the incredibly freeing journey of not just seeding, but weeding under the gracious, kind, loving mercy of God. That's what I would invite all of us into. And then he can truly begin pulling those things out and the seed can take root and grow. So do those three things. Invite God to start weeding. Write a fearless moral inventory and look for someone who's safe enough to share it with. We're gonna end with a song today and uh, we're gonna have the band come up and sing. And as they're doing that, I would love for us to take just a moment and, and ask God, would you start weeding? Would you start weeding? And would you help me? <laughs> Start seeing, show me those thorns and would you start weeding? Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much for who you are, for what you've done, for the life that you've given us. Thank you so much for the seed of your gospel that literally changes this world and changes our hearts. But God, I'm so grateful that you, you understand that just dumping seed not deep enough or among thorns won't grow. You know that. And God, you see the thorns in our hearts. 
You see the pain. You see the things we struggle with. And you're not angry. You're going, hey, how do I help get those out the way so that the life I have for you can be born and grow and mature? So God, help us see it. Help us see you as this loving gardener who wants to plant life in us. Thank you. Thank you. And help us see it. In Jesus' name.
Every single scene.